Good morning. Ah, man, I hope you're doing well. I just want to call attention to these cards, and, and not for the reason you think. I know you just heard all the Christmas Eve, oh, yeah, all the Christmas Eve services are on there. I think that's awesome. But uh, the, at the very bottom, there's this little thing right here that says, I want you to know, December 26th, all of our services are online on December 26th. So do not come here, okay? Dial online or tune up, whatever. I don't know how to write, say that. Go online, and there, there is where our service will be. I have these like nightmares of you all showing up on the 26th, and we're not here. But we're going to take 26th off, give all of our volunteers a break, and all of it will be online, and then I'll come back on the second, and we'll start in our new series on the second. So uh, take that, stick it on your fridge. Uh, that would be fantastic um, for, for you to do. Also, I just want to kind of give you a, a heads up and a shout out to Jambos. Uh, man, what a great job you all are doing. And so if you're not familiar with QR code, you can hang your, take your phone and open the photo app and it will automatically scan this. And then you can like go and order the, the pajamas for the kids in foster care. Um, we want to do that. The boxes are already overflowing. Our big push for it is next Sunday. All the kids that are coming to church are coming in pajamas. I'm going to be preaching in pajamas. I'm just kidding. All that kind of stuff. No, no, no. It's not about your sick fantasy. Okay, no, it's not going to. So all, uh, pajamas are all happening. And, uh, and so that'll be awesome. And man, it's just so exciting. It's one of these times when um, we, we get to do it right. We get to do the right thing. And I'm so excited to do that with you. And you all have been so generous. And uh, it's, actually, it's actually been overwhelming. So thank you for that. So uh, Lord, thank you so much for this day and these beautiful people. And thank you for this moment in time with, with you. Um, Lord, every time we come uh, to this service and this church, whether we're online or, or right here live, um, man, uh, we believe you could change a harder life. It could be mine. And we come with that expectation. Uh, we, we want to be different people. We want to love more, love deeper, love more genuinely, and, uh, both ourselves and people around us and you. So uh, would you hide me in your cross, allow that to happen in your name. Amen. Uh, man, if you haven't swung by the collective, um, uh, you should. Uh, we have a resident who just hit it out of the park with all of her designs this year. And she just got this whole fresh stuff in of, of, of designs. And, and if you go, have anything, go by and just tell her she did a great job. That'd be, that'd be great. So I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but everybody seems to be a little cranky this year. Um, it certainly is true for me. Uh, I went to the senior adult uh, party this week. And I use that term loosely. Uh, but we went to the senior adult party. And you know what I walked away with? A fruitcake. Yeah, so I won't be going back. You know, I'm not going back there. So, you know, if you have a tire uh, that's missing on one of your vehicles and you're trying to prop it up with cinder blocks, but you're one cinder block shy, I have a fruitcake that you can take and just put it right under there and have your car up. That'd be fantastic. It's not just me. Um, I read this story this week. I don't know if you, you saw it, but somebody set the, the, the Christmas tree in front of Fox News on the big plaza. They put it on, set it on fire. I mean, who burns down a Christmas tree? I mean, not the, that, that's amazing. They just burn down a Christmas tree. I think that's, and th then I did further research. You know, you know what I learned? <clears throat> Mistletoe is actually a parasitic plant. Did you all know that? That little weed, you know, that you're supposed to be under there and you kiss, you know, your loved one under there kind of thing. And it's actually a parasitic plant, but that was, that was bad enough. Guess how it's distributed? Bird droppings. Yeah, bird droppings. You think about that next time. <laughs> Merry Christmas, you know. You think about that next time you gather your special someone under a piece of mistletoe and you look up and think about that parasitic plant and just think that that nasty plant was birthed by passing through a bird's area. So that, that's how that got to be there. So 
Merry Christmas, everybody. That's, that's just fantastic. So this time of year can make people feel cranky in spite of any of those reasons. You know, they got shorter days. The kids are out of school. So if you have two parents working in the home, you got to figure out child care. There's additional financial pressure going on. And of course, add to it the great divide in our country over well, just about anything you want to talk about. We're going to be divided over that. That's also going on. And so I introduced a word last year, uh, week that's been sort of going to be our hermeneutic that we're going to use to interpret all of this season. And the word we're using is the word languishing. And here's what languishing means. Languishing means to suffer from being forced to remain in an unpleasant place or situation. Doesn't that sound like the past year and a half? <laughs> We've sort of been languishing Surely if we had time to share, all of us could share a season or a point or circumstances for why we're languishing even in our world. A person who may feel stuck in a marriage or the marriage that's unhealthy or maybe declining or perhaps one where marriage, where trust was lost, that person feels like they're languishing or a teen in a home where they feel misunderstood or devalued or parents don't feel like they can understand their teen. That feels like a languishing season. A person who feels betrayed by a very close friend, that feels like languishing. I was thinking about people fighting illness or disease, and you've met more medical professionals than you care to meet in, the, in this season of your life. That can feel like languishing as, as well. Or how about a couple trying to get ahead financially, but every time they sit down to do the bills, the financial bills are, are higher than the money. And, and then you add Christmas to that. It feels like a languishing season. I'm aware of another one. So holidays especially are times for those of us that have lost a loved one. During the holidays, that grief can come rushing back in on us and it feels like languishing. Uh, for my own world, you know where I feel like I languish at Christmas time? Spiritually. I feel like I can languish spiritually. I know I'm such an amazing pastor. I mean, who languishes at Christmas? This guy, I don't know. I, I, I had a pastor friend call me this week. He said, uh, he said, Tom, he said, I've been languishing this whole month or I, I, it's been a long month and it's only December the 8th. <laughs> and it's true. Um, the stretch between Thanksgiving and Christmas is, is demanding one in church world and extra services and special guests and the power of the incarnation, all that kind of stuff. And add to that social gatherings, preps for Christmas, and it can just feel like I'm forced to remain, if you will, in an unpleasant situation. And over the years, I've learned this is a season where I have to be sensitive to that part of my soul. So however you experience this season, I would bet something we have in common is there's some area, some languishing going on in, in your life. And we're using this year are languishing these circumstances, for those of you who've been around a while, almost like a gateway crisis. We're using the languishing to view a very familiar Christmas story, and, and, and we hope that it'll open our eyes to the story. So last week, we looked at Zachariah, who was in this season of languishing. He and his wife, Elizabeth, were praying for a child for most of their lives, and God finally answered the prayer as they were well up in years. He gives them a son. And in this story, we discovered there actually is a cure for languishing, and it's hope. Now, I'm not talking about hope like, I hope it snows. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about hope with teeth. I'm talking about hope that's got some substance to it. The way we define it was this, is hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised 
and his faithfulness to keep those promises. That's the kind of hope we're talking about. So on that first Christmas morning, initially there are just three characters involved in the story. Before the shepherds, before the wise men, you have two of those characters who get a lot of attention and the third character doesn't get much attention at all. Of course you have Mary, the beautiful mother of Jesus. She's there. And of course you have baby Jesus and, and he's going to get a lot of attention. But then you have our cranky character of the morning, Joseph. Joseph doesn't get much attention and he got a raw deal in the story. Let me, let me show it to you. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we Christian people, we hear that and we're like, yeah. I mean, there's no response anymore, is there? I mean, you hear that, you're like, yeah. That sounds about right. You know, really? Really? Let's go back. Let's not jump ahead. Joseph had to be devastated. Let's remember Joseph. He didn't have the New Testament to read. He'd never seen a Christmas show for his kids to be in. He'd never watched anything Christmas on TV. All Joseph had to interpret what was going on was, was what was happening right in front of him. His fiance comes, I'm pregnant. How would you feel? For some of you, this story is pretty close to home because it's part of your story. Joseph felt exactly what you would feel. He felt devastated, betrayed, cheated on. All of his expectations for a beautiful marriage and a golden retriever and a white picket fence and a Green Bay Packer welcome mat on the front porch, all of those expectations were gone. What might have been are totally blown. Joseph is wrestling with all the emotions of that moment, and then Mary has the audacity to say something utterly ridiculous. It's okay. It's from the Holy Spirit. I know you don't think you should laugh at that, but that's exactly what happened. I mean, who buys that? Who, who was actually going to believe that? So, you know, here's Joseph getting this information and, I, and he's like, it's okay. It's, don't you think it'd make you a little cranky? It's not you. It's God. God is the one. You know, that's how this happened. And Joseph doesn't believe her. Neither would you, okay, if we weren't as well-versed. It's bad enough, Joseph might think, you cheated on me, but now you're treating me like I'm dumb. Like, I, like this is crazy. He's sad, betrayed, embarrassed, and I'm hoping I would be a little angry about this. And now we get our first glimpse into Joseph. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to publicly disgrace her, so he decides to break the engagement quietly. Legally, engagement in Joseph's day would have had the same binding effect of marriage in our day. Joseph, before anything happens, despite all the options available to him, he decides to do an upright thing. Nobody would have judged him for, like, disgracing Mary. Everybody would have said, yeah, she deserves everything she gets. He has the power to turn this into some kind of public spectacle, but something about the man, something inside the man causes him to choose not to do that. As he considered this, dis dis divorcing her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Actually, the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Pause. Here we are. 
with the languishing proposition of this story. Don't miss this. If Joseph signs on to what the angel has said in his dream, he is signing on not to end his languishing, but to actually begin a lifetime of languishing. That's what he's agreeing to. He's choosing to language, languish, to suffer from being forced to remain in an unpleasant place or situation. The angel's asking a lot of him, Joseph, don't worry about how your parents will respond when you tell them. Don't worry about how awkward it's going to be every time you go home. Joseph, don't worry about people's perceptions and what they're saying. Joseph, don't worry about your reputation, your business, and all the implications this might have on your business. Joseph, don't worry about carrying the doubt the rest of your life that maybe Mary was lying and maybe you ate bad pizza and that's why you had that dream. Joseph, take on a lifetime of abuse and rumors and gossip about you, your wife, your son, and your family. And add to all of that, what is already an incredibly difficult situation, the angel puts one more piece of vital information that will make Joseph's situation even more difficult. Look at it in scripture. It says that she will have a son, the angel speaking, you are to name him Jesus. Why? This son will save his people from their sins. And Joseph, the good Jewish man that he is, has these bells going off. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's messages through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to the son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And Joseph has an all snap moment. (laughs) Not only is he being asked to languish circumstantially, now he's got to languish spiritually because now Joseph understands he will be responsible for raising the Messiah. Can you imagine? Jesus, I told you to, please forgive me later for this. I told you to get into your, right? I mean, what do you do? How do you do that? There's no manual on this. How do you, how do you do this? How do you raise the son of God? If you're like me, you think he's fully human, fully God. This is a fully human moment for Joseph. I mean, you can't just expect that Jesus is going to be fine. You have to raise this kid. I mean, is there anyone else in the room that at this point in the story would just kind of say, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. You can do this some other way. Not me. So my mind has all kinds of questions related to the story, most of which I probably shouldn't share. However, Joseph had to answer only one question. Ironically, it's the same question you and I have to answer in our periods of languishing. Here's the decision Joseph had to make. Do I trust God or not? Do I trust God or not? See, our response to that question will determine a great deal about our languishing periods we're in. Oh, is God still in control of the situation or has it all fallen apart somewhere? 
Will we trust what God says about love? Will we trust what God says about forgiveness? Will we trust what God says about our, our bodies or about our identity or about a plan and a purpose to our lives, the good and the bad? Do I trust God or not? Joseph has to decide, and as we'll get to, you have to decide as well. Here was Joseph's decision in Matthew chapter 1. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took Mary as his wife, and Joseph named him Jesus. If you're an underliner in Scripture, that's the one to underline. Because in that moment, Joseph decided. Joseph decided. He decided to trust, knowing it would be painful. Did you hear what I said? This is not popular to, 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 to sell in modern church. <laughs> he decided to trust knowing it would result in personal languishing, suffering from being forced to remain in an unpleasant place or situation. To be honest, I'm a little wrecked by Joseph this year. There's a lot about this guy I admire He's bringing this loud, convicting lesson from the place of languishing to me this year. To those of us really who are living in a languishing time, he's setting an example, a way forward, a light for a dark path in a world that desperately needs to hear his message. Have you noticed we're part of a culture where everybody's trying to place responsibility on someone else? Have you noticed that? Hello? Okay, thank you. So that, that's going on. Surprisingly, Joseph, of all people in the Christmas story, may be bringing one of the most important lessons of Christmas this year. What's the lesson? Something doesn't have to be your fault to be your responsibility. How refreshing would it be to turn our televisions on and for someone, anyone, anywhere to say, you know what? It's my responsibility. I'll take care of it. And that's what Joseph does. He, he raises Jesus. He teaches him his trade. This is how you make a chair. This is how you build a house. He cares for him. They go fishing together. All the things you'd expect between a father and son. We don't have a lot of information about Joseph. We know one thing. A little bit later, I'm going to talk about this guy next week, but... Joseph has to protect his family, and they hightail it out of town when his family was threatened. Isn't he an amazing character? You know what is totally absent in Joseph's story that I thought would be there? Shame. I mean, nowhere does it say and Joseph was ashamed of Mary. Or Joseph was ashamed for his family. When Joseph walked to the marketplace and everybody was saying things, Joseph felt shame. It's nowhere. You never get an inkling of shame. You think about this. The community he and Mary lived in, they didn't see an angel. They didn't have any dream. Gabriel didn't talk to any of them. What they saw was a young girl get pregnant before she was married and wearing a scarlet letter walking through town. 
What they saw was a crazy girl saying she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit and she was carrying the Messiah and nobody bought that. What they saw was a man who drank her crazy brand of Kool-Aid and stood by her side. Nobody was sending their kids over to play with Mary and Joseph and their kids. What they saw was a man who said he was visited by an angel in a dream. No shame. No shame. And so it occurs to me that for some of you, the languishing that you are a part of in your life is actually centered on shame. Which now we have a disconnect. How can you and I be languishing in shame, but there's no shame in Joseph? Shame usually comes from one of two places, see if you agree. I think shame comes from bad decisions that I made, or shame comes from a bad decision someone else made that impacts me. Fair? But for Joseph, no shame. Maybe you relate to some of what Mary must have been feeling. Maybe you relate to someone what Joseph must have been feeling. Maybe you feel judged by your community for a past and it's producing shame. Maybe you feel your mistake or mistakes are always with you. It's producing shame. Maybe you made a mistake. The person you live with keeps reminding you that you made a mistake. And so shame is always with you. Maybe you carry a string of failed marriages and you carry shame. Maybe you have a record of giving into an addiction. Nobody believes you're going to stay, stay true to what you said you were going to do. And so you carry shame. And this is the worst one. Maybe for some, you have a private behavior. Nobody knows. But you know. And you carry shame. Because you never feel like you're being real. Now, I want to make a delineation here between guilt and shame. I find guilt can be helpful in my life. Shame is never helpful in my life. Let me tell you why. Guilt is more about the what. Guilt says, boom, that's a, that's a balloon, everybody relax. Guilt says, everybody, okay. <laughs> the safety guys just had heart attacks. <laughs> guilt says, guilt is about what? about the what Gil says what I did was bad shame is about the who shame says I'm bad do you see the difference guilt's about the what shame is about the who guilt is I wronged you shame is I will never be good you see the difference shame says what I did was wrong Guilt says what I did was wrong. Shame says I'm a miserable wretch and I'm terrible. Listen to me. Shame is almost never helpful and most of the time is toxic. And if you're languishing in shame or your home is languishing in shame, I promise you poison is spreading in your home. Why? See, we all would agree we live from an identity or sense of self. And it gives us a belonging in a community. That's what we all do. Purpose in life. Shame says our identity is bad. Therefore, I have to pretend I'm something I'm not. 
I've got to fool you so you don't know who I really am. I'm bad. I'm unlovable. I'm irredeemable. And so as a result of that, we live out our identity in a lie, and surprise, surprise, we live badly. Joseph had no reason to feel guilty, but he had a ton of reasons to feel shame. Before the angel and after the angel, but we hear none of it. Nothing about his shame. There's no shame in him. And I like him for that. I'd like to have a conversation with him. I wonder, do you think it might have something to do with his willingness to take responsibility for something that wasn't his fault? Hear me out on this. I wonder if Joseph knew as he looked at his baby boy in the manger when it was just the three of them, I wonder if he knew that one day his son that he would raise would choose to do the exact same thing. The baby, his son, in about 33 years, would take responsibility for something that wasn't his fault as well. And as a result, those of us languishing in shame right now would be given the opportunity to be free. Because that's exactly what what Jesus did. Jesus became this perfect sacrifice for imperfect people like me and like you. Jesus took responsibility for something that wasn't his fault. And I've read a passage this week that I've read a hundred times, but I never paid attention to this phrase. Let me share it with you. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Read it with me. Disregarding its shame. So don't miss this because Jesus is hanging on a cross. You and I understand all that. We admire him for it. Not in his day. They didn't get it. There's just another criminal up there. You know what? I think that's Mary and Joseph's boy. I told you he was nothing. He came from nothing. He's dying as nothing. Do you hear it? Come on. Can you hear it? Because people are mean. People are evil. (laughs) And he's hanging on the cross, but Jesus is hanging there somehow disregarding its shame. And another translation, I like this one, it's scorning. I like scorning because I think it's on this word we gain some insight into Joseph, into Jesus, and into ourselves. You see, Jesus was able to disregard the shame of a criminal dying by a crucifixion. He was able to scorn the shame of that experience. How? Because he surrendered to his father's will. Do you remember? Not my will, yours be done. Joseph has a dream and he surrenders to a father's will and he takes Mary to be his wife. 
And that, friends, is true for Joseph, it's true for Jesus, and it can be true for you. Make no mistake, everybody's guilty. We got more guilt in here than COVID. We got guilt everywhere. Everybody guilty, guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty everywhere. Guilty, guilty. Everybody's guilty. Everybody said, Tom, nobody's done like what I did. Listen, you're not that good a sinner. Okay. You're not that good a sinner. I promise you, everybody's guilty. And I can hear in your mind, you're thinking, but they probably haven't done. I'll bet they have. I'll bet they have. Everybody's guilty. And some of us are languishing in that today. But listen to me. There are some you are worshiping alongside today who are no longer languishing in their guilt. Doesn't that interest you? Some of you are carrying a heavy load of shame. Something happened as a kid, something you decided, something someone else decided, something happened last night, and you're carrying this heavy load of shame. Do you realize there are some people that you're worshiping beside who are no longer languishing in shame? Christmas happens so you do not have to languish in sin and shame. You can be free of that. So many Christians I talk to are languishing in the shame for a sin that God has already redeemed. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. He does, but I'll make myself feel miserable for the rest of my life to please you. And God says, you're not pleasing me. I've already redeemed it. And my redemption is enough. Listen to me. That does not have to be your story. You do not have to feel like a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. We're all guilty. The season of languishing in shame can end right now, whether it's shame for something you did or shame for something someone else decided to do, you can take spiritual responsibility for the state of your own heart and soul. This can end. How? I'm so glad I asked me when I was pretending to be you and I asked myself that question. Here's, here's the answer. If we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us for most of it. Tell me that's not how some of you are living. There is no halfway forgiveness with God. He doesn't do halfway. We do halfway. Not God. If we are faithful, confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from the same stuff we can forgive ourselves for. Jesus doesn't just forgive us for the things that you and I can ultimately forgive ourselves for. Jesus can forgive us for all unrighteousness, even the things you hope nobody ever finds out about because you're carrying the greatest amount of shame for it. Scripture says that stuff can all be flushed. It's right there. Taking responsibility means we confess that sin. For some, you will confess the sin of someone else. That's making you feel shame. I'm not saying you're going to get them forgiven. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you confess what's causing you to feel shame. Confess to the Father. 
Go ahead. Give it all to God through confession. And once that confession is done, you come to the same point that Joseph came to and Jesus came to, and you're going to have to answer the same question. Will I trust God or not? Oh, but Tom, I did this. Will you trust God or not? You're right. What you did was probably terrible. I did terrible things too. That's not what I'm debating. What we're really debating is whether or not God's redemptive power is enough. Will I trust God or not? Oh, but she hurt me when she... Will you trust God or not? And let me tell you what's going to happen. As soon as you begin to confess these things to God, the evil one comes lurking around. Familiar? You say, God, I'm sorry. I confess my sin to you. I ask you to free me from guilt. He does it. Free me from shame. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He does it. And then like you're all alone. And all of a sudden, the devil come around. You're not really buying that, are you? You're not really believing that God forgave you, do you? He forgives those other people, not you. Come on, tell me you haven't felt that. See, the devil will come lurking around and he'll start speaking into our ears. There are times when I've had forgiveness for things in a moment. There are times where I, it was a season where God just had to release things for me. The point is you keep giving it to God. Why? I'm choosing to trust God. So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Give the devil the finger. Not, not that one. <laughs> no, unless that's your style. Here's what I mean. This is, this, is, this is just a visual. So you just do with it what you want. But it's like, say, hey, when that comes in, when your head's and you're getting it in your heart and you're feeling condemned, that's the evil guy. And you know it's just put your fingers on, not today, devil. Come on, let's do it with me, shall we? One, two, three. Not today, devil. Some of y'all gave me the wrong finger. So listen, listen, let's try it one more time. The shame's coming in. The shame's saying, oh, Tom, you're this. You did this. You hurt these people. And then, then you say this, ready? Not today, devil. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. I'll prove it to you. You remember Zachariah and Elizabeth had a son? And you remember he's in the wilderness and he looks off in the distance and here comes Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. Do you remember what John the Baptist said about the one who was coming? He said this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the entire freaking world. I think that probably includes mine. You? Amen. Lord, thank you for these beautiful folks. Thank you for the power of the gospel message, even through a cranky guy like Joseph. Lord, it occurs to me as I'm interceding on behalf of this congregation right now, we got some in the room carrying shame because of a decision they made. I pray you would be their pastor, their comforter, the sustainer. Put your hand on the back and saying, this truth is your truth. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would mark their minds and souls. And every time this season they see a lamb, anytime they see a character from the Christmas story, they would think, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
for my friends in the room that are carrying shame because of what someone else decided. Maybe lording it over them now, or maybe they're just privately carrying it. Maybe something in the family, something a friend, I don't know. I pray when those feelings come in, when that condemnation begins to settle on the core of who they are, not today, devil, not today. And as they think about the person who's caused them pain, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, help us to trust God. In your name we ask and believe, by your power we live. Amen.